right, last week we began to learn about the concept of the just society. One thing we found is that the concept is exceptionally biblical in nature. Now, admittedly, this is something that in the Western world we don't understand very well. We have uh, rather grown out of practice. Um, Therefore, our congregations are rent by all kinds of trouble. Pornography is a huge problem in our congregations. I mean, you're talking about a problem where in the good, good churches, in good messianic synagogues where we still at least believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We still believe that Yeshua is Lord. We still believe that there's moral versus immoral and good versus evil and righteous versus unrighteous. These are good congregations. And yet it's estimated that up to a third of the men are addicted to pornography in such congregations. Where's the righteousness? And of course, all too often we've heard stories about these powerful men of God that people have decided to worship, it seems like, in many ways. And they've fallen into even worse moral error than the pornography, which is bad enough. And then to a certain degree, they flaunted it. Why did they flaunt it? Because they could. Why could they? Because they had so much power. Why did they have so much power? Because they were given that power. And no constraints were put upon that power whatsoever. It's a dangerous situation for a person of God to be in to have such power. Because we as human beings don't generally handle power very well. Look at our politics if you think we handle power well. We don't. And we see that in our politics on a daily basis. Our government is now mostly governed by executive order. One man governs everything. And there's very little constraint put on that one man. It's kind of scary. And so, when you live in a society that is definitely suffering some real problems, and don't get get me wrong, we still have a lot of freedom here in the United States, at least currently we do, a lot. It's a whole lot more than many other places I've lived in the world. But still, when you live in a society that's beginning to break down a bit, where it's hard to find justice in the streets, where do you find justice if you don't find it right here in the congregation of God's people? So we learned a few things about the just society last week. First of all, we learned... It's just that. It is a society that is just. And so you imagine during the Roman times, 
in which injustice reigned supreme, in which the law was based on whatever the emperor said it was. So if Caesar said the law said one thing, then that's what it said. And if the next day he said it said the exact opposite because he wanted to do the exact opposite, then it was that. And if you fell afoul of the law, well, that's just too bad for you. Because with the Caesars, it was laws for thee, but not for me. And do as I say, not as I do. So how in the world, in such a society where injustice will reign supreme, and it did, do you find justice? This was a real problem for the early congregations, you see. They had to create within their midst the just society that was lacking outside of the congregation. I will submit to you that this is what God is telling us we need to do today. Return to that. So we define the just society as a community of people however large or small, knit together by their love of God, walking together in their shared faith in Yeshua the Messiah, in adherence to God's instruction as the just law and binding rule for that society. Such a society engages the world and its members through the love of God, governing its actions by God's stated instruction, always tempered by God's grace. Pretty good definition of a just society. We also learned that Israel was created by God to be the example of a just society to the rest of the world. When God gave Israel that exclusive covenant that He made with them, He even told them, that the world would look at them when they obeyed the things that he had given them and they would think what a just nation, what a wise and understanding people. Israel was created to be a just society. So what happened when the nation of Israel ceased to be? Well, it didn't stop God's plan. The synagogue became the just society. And wherever you had a, society, a synagogue in the world, you had a little picture, a microcosm of the just society. And then hallelujah. God did something amazing. He brought salvation to the nations. He brought salvation to the Gentiles. And then he extended the concept of the just society to the congregations of God's people. Congregations not too unlike this one. Although they were used to living in such an unjust society that the knowledge of needing to be a just society themselves was no surprise to them. It becomes a surprise to us. It's a surprise we need to get over with though. We need to be a just society. How else do we provide normalcy for our people? How else do we provide safety for our people? 
how else do we really love our people? If we don't do it, who else will? If we don't truly live for God, I'll guarantee you nobody else in this society will. God's people have to show the way. And it's ever been that way. We're so used to having a stable government here that does a lot of things for us that we should be doing for ourselves. that we really forget that it is the congregations of God's people who are to be demonstrating to the world what justice is. And that if we forget that, then the society around us will soon break down in injustice, which is exactly what's happening in our society today. God's people have largely removed themselves from society for whatever reason, and society is showing the pains of God's people largely removing themselves from that society. Indeed, without the congregations of God's people being the just society, there will be no just society on the face of the earth. And whenever any nation has approached the goal of being a just society, you know what? That society has come to that exalted position because God's people showed the way to the just society. I want to start with Exodus 22 through 17. Most of you will recognize these are the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. They are a summary of God's law. God's law is not just Ten Commandments. I think it's actually, what, 613? Is that right? Something like that, according to the rabbis? That's the law. 613 laws. But this is a summary of this. And we can learn a lot about what the just society looks like from this. And so we read, I am Adonai your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Do not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth below or on the water under the earth. Do not bow down to them. Do not let anyone make you serve them. For I, Adonai, your God, am a jealous God, bringing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to the thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my mitzvot. Let me stop there for just a moment. A lot of people misunderstand this passage. God is not saying that He's going to punish the children of the sinner just because the sinner is a sinner. What He's talking about is parental responsibility and the importance of parents in setting the life pattern for their children. 
If you have a wife beating drunk who is raising a son, it is quite likely that son is going to grow up to be a wife beating drunk. Do you understand that? And so by our actions, we curse our children. That's what God is talking about here. Don't curse your children. Clean up your act, and your children will follow what you've done in cleaning up your act. If you don't, your children will follow you in your sinful patterns, and they will suffer the consequences thereof. You must not take the name of Adonai your God in vain, for Adonai will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Remember Yom Shabbat, the day of Shabbat. To keep it holy, you are to work six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to Adonai your God. In it you shall not do any work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, nor the outsider that is within your gates. For in six days Adonai made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Thus Adonai blessed Yom Shabbat and made it kadosh, holy. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long upon the land which Adonai your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Obviously, what many describe as justice today is the exact opposite according to God. He could not tell us not to steal if he didn't expect there would be private property. He could not tell us not to covet our neighbor's house or our neighbor's property if he didn't expect there would be private property. The political idea that the way to justice is to take property away from everyone is a lie from the pit of hell. Justice is not based on absolute equality of outcome. After all, equality of outcome comes from a lot of different things. It's like I told a class of students at one point who had asked me the question about injustice in the world, and I said, yes, there's a lot of injustice. We must fight against it at all times. However, let's not misunderstand injustice for one's own poor choices, please. So I asked them this question about a mile away from here, in that direction. There's a certain business that's going to open up in about an hour. And people are going to be going in there and they're going to laugh, they're going to sing, they're going to do some other things, they're going to get really stupid and silly. Do you know what that place is? They looked at each other kind of puzzled and they reasoned it out and they said, oh, it's the bar. And I said, yeah, it's the bar. 
And what are people going to do there? Well, they're going to dance. Yeah, they'll dance. What else will they do? They'll sing. Yeah, they'll sing. What else do they do there? Well, they laugh. Yeah, they laugh. But what else? You're, you're missing the point. And one of them said, Rabbi, I think what you mean is they're going to drink, and they're going to drink very heavily. And I said, yes, they will. And then when you drink very heavily, what do you have to do? And they thought, you have to go to the bathroom. And I told him, yes, if you piss your cash away, you're going to be poor. And they got very quiet because it occurred to them that if you live your life in such a way that you court dissipation, that your outcome is going to be very poor, whether there's a just society or not. And believe me, in Zimbabwe, it's a very unjust society in which the powerful reign and rule everything, and they make it miserable for just about everybody else. But still, even in an unjust society like that, if you if you destroy your own life by bad actions and bad behavior, then you really can't blame anybody else but yourself at that point, can you? And there won't be a good outcome for you. That's just the truth. So, we learned that a just society, in being just, does not therefore rest on the idea of absolute equality of outcome, but it rests on creating a society in which everybody can achieve the best outcome that they possibly can. It's a society that's built on fairness, that is built on love, that is built on mercy, but that is also built on an understanding of right and wrong, good and evil. It's a society where the people truly come together as one body, rather than just a lot of feuding individuals who occasionally get together and say they love God and love each other. It's a society that really finds that as dependent as we all are on God, that you know what, we're also very dependent on one another as well if we're going to live well. It is so good to see so many faces back that we haven't seen for a long time. A couple of weeks ago, there were a lot of people who were back that I hadn't seen for a long time. They were all saying the same thing. 
that this COVID-19, the shutdowns, that the separation was really bothering them, that it was really getting to them, that they felt like they were losing an essential part of who God intends us to be as human beings. And that they needed to be back with God's people again. Ruth, it is really great to see you. God bless you. The Israels are back. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I believe that it's in these words of the Ten Commandments that we begin to understand how God views the concept of a just society. So let's break them down for just a few minutes. Over the top of the ark there, we have a, a Hebrew phrase, five words, Dalifne mi ata omed, which instructs us to know before whom you stand. Whenever one goes and stands before that ark, they're going to open it. They're going to remove the Word of God, the Torah scroll. And God is beckoning to us to know before whom we stand. When we stand before that ark. We stand before God. We stand before a holy God. And so, I think this is where the Shema starts. I mean, I mean this is where the, the Ten Commandments start. I think they're broken down into two parts. Um, commandments 1 through 3, and then Commandments 5 through 10, with a bridge at number 4 about remembering the Shabbat. But know before whom you stand, the one God, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's whom we stand before. In Exodus 34, 6-7, we read that um, He's a loving and merciful and holy God. And so we read, Then Adonai passed before him and proclaimed, Adonai, Adonai, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth, showing mercy to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means leaving the guilty unpunished, but bringing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. May our generations truly be blessed. May we have a vision for our generations. For our children and their children and their children's children. For all of our generations. 
This is why we remember the Shabbat. This is why we remember the Moedim of God. The holidays, the festivals, the days of remembrance. So you see, that's who he is first. He is God. The only God. The one God. But he's also the holy God. Leviticus 19.2 Speak to all the congregation of B'nai Israel and tell them, You shall be Kedoshim, righteous ones, holy ones. And you shall be this, for I, Adonai, your God, am holy. So God is holy, and so he expects us to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 tells us, So brace your minds for action. Keep your balance. And set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Like obedient children, do not be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in your ignorance. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in everything you do. For it is written, Kedoshim you shall be, for I am Kadosh. Kedoshim, holy ones. You shall be, for I am holy, the Lord says. By the way, I want to point out though that holiness, being Kadosh, is far more than merely not doing things that are unholy. As importantly, it means doing the things that are holy. It begins not with us, but with Yeshua, by whose sacrificial death and shed blood we have been made holy. Without that, we could not be holy. The holy instruments of God were all made holy because of blood. The blood of an innocent one being shed and paying the price for the sin and evil of each human being, each of us. There were sacrifices for each day, sacrifices for each week, sacrifices for each holiday, different sacrifices in many cases. You think of all the buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of blood that was spilled in order for there to be atonement, a covering. And so why would we be surprised that our salvation, our holiness, is bought at a price also? In fact, a far greater price. The Son of God, God in human flesh, 
giving himself to sinful humanity to be sacrificed on that execution stake that all human beings could have the way of salvation opened up for them. And short holiness is not through our actions, but through the actions of God in the sukkah of human flesh, paying the price for our sins that we could be forgiven, but more importantly, that we could be made holy so that we could serve the living God. From there, we know it is holy to study God's Word. It is holy to pray and seek God. It is holy to remember that God is one, to avoid the worship of idols and to avoid taking His name in vain. These are all things that are holy. But let's not look at it as our actions in this way somehow make us just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mm-mm. Goes further than that, much further than that. What we oftentimes forget is in our efforts to be holy or to look holy is that if all that being holy is to us is for us to look good before God, we forget a critical facet of true holiness. We're missing the point of holiness in large measure. So I believe the ten words or commandments are indeed to be read in two parts. One through three and five through ten, with four serving as a bridge for the two. One through three, they tell us all about serving God, right? Worshiping God. Honoring God, revering God. But that's not where they stop, is it? And that brings us to the fourth commandment, where God instructs His people to remember the Shabbat. It's almost a commandment that kind of, sort of stands alone, not exactly, but kind of does. But, but that's because it is a bridge. It's a bridge that helps us to transition from understanding holiness from how we act towards God, what our posture towards God would be, to understanding what our posture towards fellow humanity should be, you see. First, this commandment reminds us that God created the heavens and the earth and that He created us, that He is the one who gives life. And without Him, we have no life. We also know that after the six days of creation, He rested on the seventh day and sanctified the seventh day and made it holy. It is on Shabbat we worship God by turning our attention from our common work of the week in which we provide for ourselves and our families to God who is and what He has called us to do. It is with the Shabbat commandment we also begin to learn how God values the rest of His creation to include most especially our brothers and sisters.
You see, there's no way a just society can be just if it's not also relational. If we're going to be a just congregation, a just society, then we have to love one another greatly, deeply, fervently, completely. Just as God has loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever should believe in Him might not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loved us. How much are we willing to go forth in God's name then? In the name of Yeshua and love the rest of humanity whom He created. Made in His image just like we are. Well, that brings us to the second part of the ten words. Humanity made in the image of Almighty God and for whom Yeshua shed His blood just as He did for us. And how soon we forget in our petty bickering. Well, somebody said something that offended me. Really. Somebody was unkind to me. Really, were they? But that's okay. I don't like them either. Every one of us have heard it. And every one of us have been guilty of it at one point or another. Look, family is important. You can have all the money in the world and be able to afford anything you want. But if you don't have any relationships, you're going to be a very miserable and paranoid person. Look at Howard Hughes. How many even know who Howard Hughes was? Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. Less than half the congregation. Howard Hughes was one of the richest men in the world. And he was a very intelligent man. He built things. He built the biggest airplane in the world up to that point. What was it called, Gigi? The Spruce Goose. That's right. It was made of wood. It's huge. The guy died absolutely isolated from everyone else. You know why? He was so paranoid. He was so afraid of germs. He was a germaphobe if ever there was one. He would never leave his room. People had to bring his food, his drink, everything to him. Boy, I can't imagine a more succinct definition of miserable. Yeah. Gigi was... And yet, he really did not bathe all that often. And if that sounds a little bit gross, it probably should. So you can be just as rich as, as, as Midas, and yet, if you don't have relationships, it's not going to mean anything to you. I enjoy a nice tropical beach for a reason. Because I'm enjoying it with my wife. Oh, 
But other than that, I really wanted to enjoy it all that much, you see. Because it's in our relationships that we really find our joy. Starting with relationship with God, but continuing to relationship with one another. So in standing before God, know before whom you stand. In standing before God, we stand before a holy God who called us to serve and reach out to lost humanity. I already talked about the community garden. Keep that in mind. We wish to use this to reach out to lost humanity and to make life better for people whose lives are very hard right now. Well, we can only do this by conducting ourselves as holy people, echoing 34, uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, where we are compassionate and gracious, where we're slow to anger, where we're abundant in loving kindness and truth, showing mercy, forgiving those who sin against us, yet by no means ignoring wrongdoing, especially in the house of God, but also in standing against injustices in our society. Just like the early congregations did. Just like the abolitionists did in setting the slaves free and in ending slavery. Just like the pro-life people are doing today in trying to end the scourge of abortion from our society. These are the works that we of the congregations of God's people are supposed to be doing. in ending the scourge of human trafficking from our society today. We are to care for and love those who are of the household of faith especially. But then as one community of faith, see, if we love each other and we truly become one body, then as one community of faith, we also care for those outside of our walls, especially the least of those among us. That's the true sign of a just society, isn't it? How we treat the least of those among us. If we're not treating the least of those among us well, we're not a just society. And we can't be. As long as there's human trafficking in our nation, as long as we are murdering little babies in our nation, as long as we are refusing to take care of the widow and the orphan who are truly cut off, the least of those among us, we cannot be a just society. This is why we must be a just society. Society. We read in Leviticus 19, 9 through 17, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very corners of your, your field, nor are you to gather the gleanings of your harvest. You are not to pick the remnants of your vineyard, nor are you to gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. 
Instead, you are to leave them for the poor and for the outsider. I am Adonai, your God. You are not to steal. You are not to lie. You are not to deceive one another. You are not to swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am Adonai. You are not to oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired servant are not to remain with you all night until the morning. Pay those who serve you. You are not to curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am Adonai. You are to do no injustice in judgment. You are not to be partial toward the poor, nor show favoritism toward the great. But you are to judge your neighbor with fairness. You are not to go up and down as a talebearer among your people. You are not to endanger the life of your neighbor. I am Adonai. You are not to hate your brother in your heart. Instead, you are to firmly rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Deuteronomy 10.18 tells us, He enacts justice for the orphan and widow and loves the outsider, giving him food and clothing. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Holiness is not just based on what we do to look good before God. Holiness is far deeper than that. And it is absolutely critical that if we're going to be a holy people and create a just society in the midst of an increasingly unjust society, that we learn that holiness, true holiness, requires that we take care of one another and the least of those among us. If we don't do that, our holiness is nothing but filthy rags unto God because it's missing the point of what true holiness is, you see. In Galatians 6, 9 through 10, Rav Shaul, the apostle Paul, tells us, so let us not lose heart in doing good. I already mentioned it was a tough year last year. This year has started off kind of difficult also. But Paul tells us, so let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we'll reap, we will reap if we don't give up. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Therefore, whenever we have an opportunity... Let us do good toward all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. 
So once again, being holy is not only dependent upon our posture before God, one of reverence for God, one of reverence for His sanctuary and His Word, but also our posture toward our fellow human beings made in God's image. And I submit to you, this is what makes a society just. This is what makes a society just. Next week, we'll explore in greater depth what the just society and justice do not mean. After all, sometimes you understand better what a thing is by understanding what it's not than by simply hearing what it is. But for now, we understand that the people of a just society begin with God, They understand their dependence on Him for their very lives and to move on to caring for their fellow human beings whom are made in God's image and whom He loves. And so we love them also and labor to see them truly come into the fullness of His image through our example and through our witness in Yeshua the Messiah. It is a society that understands the difference between what is right and wrong, a society that so loves God, that it is at once merciful and loving, but one which recognizes that evil cannot be tolerated, especially in the midst of what is supposed to be a just society. What do righteousness and unrighteousness have in common? Scripture asks elsewhere. It is a society that understands the difference between what is right and wrong and that lives to do the right while rejecting the wrong. It's a society that so loves God that it is at once indeed merciful and loving, but doesn't tolerate evil. It is a society that seeks the true justice of God and rejects the false justice so awfully touted by men. It is a society that will be recognized around the world as a society of wise and understanding people. May we be a wise and understanding people. Hey, this is what God wants us to be. Amen? Amen.